Welcome to the Harvest Podcast, where we simply discuss God's Word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Now, here is your host, Mitch Boger. So chapter 9 is really all about God's promise to know. So, Miss, you want to go through all the verses and then we'll we'll dissect it? Yeah. Chapter 9. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your life blood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood... By man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it in it. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall become shall be in the cloud, and I will look and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is a sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard, then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine. 
and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years, so all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. Wow, so we could probably spend a couple hours here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. man, there's so much. Let's, we'll go through verses 1 through 30. So it says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Now, if you remember earlier, Adam received instructions for eating, and now so does Noah. Yet now, Noah receives specific permission to eat animals, permission that Adam was not given, as far as we know. It's quite possible that Adam and Eve were vegetarians and that this is the first time God had given permission to eat animals. Again, we can't be dogmatic about it, but that's a popular theory. But there's something interesting here. Now that animals are a food source for mankind, God instills within the animal kingdom a fear of humans. In verse 2, call that fear, or in the Hebrew, it means dread. And we wonder why, but I believe this is God's way of making sure that hostility between the animals and humans existed so there would not be quick, instantaneous extinction of animals. Because think about it, a hunter could just call Bambi out of the woods he must use sugar cubes and then just ooh, open fire and slow it to death, right? It would happen <laughs> on such a, a regular basis. I believe mm -hmm. the animal species would have been extinct relatively quickly. And I think this is God's way of, in his sovereignty, realizing that. Yeah. Verse 4 says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So God commanded Noah that his animals were killed and eaten. There must be a proper respect to the blood. Why? Because blood represents the life in all life. And so more is discussed about the blood in Leviticus, and I won't go into that too much here, but it's very clear that there was to be no eating. And it just makes me ask the question, like, how powerful is the blood? You know, and because like you said, we could probably go on for two hours on this, and I, I don't want to focus too much, but the blood, how important it is in time to come when we get to it into the New Testament, just talking about Jesus and his blood. And I always feel like that's, that's a great, right. they, that's always a great segue to getting into that. That's right. Because the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness. It's, it's got to always be about the blood. And unfortunately, a lot of churches today are afraid to talk about the blood because it may not be politically correct or people have engineers and they don't want to hear about it. Apart from the blood of Christ, there is no salvation. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all about the blood. Very good. So in verse 5, it says, Surely for your life's blood, I will demand a retinue. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. So it's interesting. If a tip mauled a man, that dog could be put down easily. But the capital punishment also applies to mankind. Now, uh, this is what we see in verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, 
he made man. Because human beings are made in God's image, murder is ultimately an attack on God, and God himself says it's deserving. The institution of capital punishment was, in essence, God's establishment as human government. Government is God's arm to defend and protect human life and to execute capital punishment. Now, people can confuse this and say, with Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his followers to turn the other cheek. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking of personal relationship. His instructions to us don't change the responsibility God gives to governments. Now, of course, the Bible also consistently teaches that the punishments of the guilty is the role of human government. And we see that in Romans chapter 13. And again, we could go on and on about that. But I, would, I would just encourage your listeners to, to check out Romans 13 for more information on human government. So verse 7, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. God is instructing Noah to be fruitful and multiply. And he emphasizes it twice here. And the reason for that is because the earth badly needed repopulating, right? Everyone's been wiped out. It's just, it's just Noah. And God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So here God promised he would never again destroy everything with a flood or even cover all the earth with a flood. And this is a, a repetition clarification that God gave of the promise in Genesis chapter 8. Now, we know that when things become similar to the days of Noah in Matthew 24, God will destroy the earth. But this time, what's coming in the future, God's going to destroy the earth by fire, not by flood. There's a big difference. Verse 12, it says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. This covenant was not made only between God and humanity, but God made the promise to all creation. Did you notice that in the previous verses, that he even made this covenant with all the animals? It just goes to show God has a heart for, it, for his animals or his creation. Verse 13, here we go to the rainbow. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen. Now, because the blanket of water vapors was released in the flood and the water cycle of the earth changing after the flood, we commonly believe that this was the first occurrence of a rainbow. And God used the rainbow as a sign to Noah and all future generations that she would be faithful to his covenant. And the next few verses continue describing this covenant, verses 15 through 17. It says, And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, what's interesting is the Hebrew word for rainbow refers to a bow and an arrow. See, when God hung a rainbow in the sky, it was as if God were hanging up his bow and arrow of judgment. The flood was over. It would never be repeated. 
So whenever Noah heard a clap of thunder or saw bolts of lightning, he would look up and see God's bow in the clouds pointed up and not down and reminded him that God's judgment was over. The rainbow would serve as a reminder to all humanity that God's agenda until the end of the age is salvation, not condemnation. And so it's interesting as you think about that rainbow, it is, it's like a bow pointing up instead of pointing down to the earth, God's bow of judgment. Oh, that's good. And actually I was going to bring that up. I was going to talk about that with the bow and that's, yeah. that's great. And it's funny because it, it, it always points back up to God. And I, I think it's in Hebrews. It talks about how it, in creation alone, there's obviously a creator and it talks about how we can see the creator through our the creation and seeing the bow the rainbow and seeing that the bow is actually facing up you know that that's just even more significant because it's pointing to god and the narrative changes and it takes a almost a shocking turn so let's read verses 18 and 19. now the sons of noah who went out of the ark were shen ham and japheth and Ham was the father of Canaan. That's important to remember. Ham is the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the whole earth was populated. So from these three sons of Noah came the nations as we know them. And the descendants of these three sons are listed in the table of nations provided in Genesis 10. And so I won't go into all that because I'm sure your next guest will, but Genesis 10 is so crucial because it helps explain where we all came from. And we know that the table of nations really started from the three sons of Noah. So now, verse 20 and 21, the shock sets in. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his So this is shocking. When Noah was going through his challenging times, the difficult days, the flood, the thundering storms, Noah walked with But when things became normal, he became vulnerable. And here's the first mention of wine or of alcohol in the Bible, and it leads a person to sin. It's quite possible that Noah may have forgotten his weakness, his need for God, and figured that he could handle a little temptation. And the point is clear. Pride will always set us up for a fall. And listen, if it can happen to Noah, you better believe it can happen to any one of us. We have to be diligent. We have to be on guard. Yeah, and I would say... After the ark, that was some laborious work. 120 years, he's building an ark. And I always joke because I bet you Noah had four arms like none other. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and to go through 120 years of the ark, and then he spends a year and some change in, in the ark during the flood. And then after that, to me, would be a great resting point. And sometimes in those resting points, depending on what we rest in, it, it can be disastrous, and actually, and That's right. because truthfully, I, I grew up farming, and it would be easy to get into the the mundane of farming again. And I'm sure for him, getting back into maybe some older roots, because I'm sure he farmed when he was younger. That's probably yeah. what they did back. Yeah. They they probably weren't playing video games and right. you know Netflix <laughs> right. and stuff like that, but. To me, I feel like after we've walked through a a season of testing and we get done, we oftentimes go to a season of rest. And in that time of rest, and I could say this only because of everything that you, know, you and I have talked through and I've opened up to you about 
And after that season of testing and that season of, hey, we got some things to grind out, that season of rest is very important. And depending on what you're resting in and going back to, if you're going to go back to the Lord, how much different? Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. absolutely. So verse 20, I want to make sure I've got, yeah, and Ham, the father of Canaan. So just notice that Ham is listed as the father of Canaan repeatedly here, and there's a reason for that. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, at first glance, we just read this and say, okay, just tells them what's the big deal. But in the ancient Hebrew, the description is that Ham told with delight what he saw in his father's tent to his brother. What this is talking about is he is mocking his father and undermining Noah's authority as a man of God. So that leads us to the events of verse 23 and 24. But Shem and Jephthah took a garment, laid it on both his shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of the father. The faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah woke from his wife, and knew what his younger son. Now, there's something interesting here because, and again, this is just speculation. If it was only mocking, how would Noah wake up and know his son did, right? There are scholars who believe that Ham was guilty of a far more sinister sin. There are some who think that Ham performed some sort of physical or sexual act, perhaps castration. The Jewish Talmud suggests the idea that Ham castrated Noah. That's how Noah woke up and knew what his younger son had done. Again, purely speculation. We won't know on this side of eternity exactly what it was. And so this brings forth the curse. So verse 25, curse be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. So interestingly, it's not Ham who is cursed. It's Ham's son, Canaan, who is cursed. And we're not exactly sure why. It's possible that Canaan perhaps participated in the acts with his father. It's also possible that Noah knew that Ham's evil influence on his son, Canaan, would ensure Canaan's future slavery. But either way, Ham's curse will be seen in the future of his son. As you fast forward through the Bible, the Canaanites did eventually become a tribe of slaves when Joshua led the descendants of Shem, Shem, that's the Hebrews, into the land of Canaan. He subdued its inhabitants, which were who? The Canaanites. Now, there's something that we can take of this and apply because there's a small circle of people, usually by white racists, who try to apply the curse of Ham and Canaan here to black Africans to try to justify slavery, and that is ultimately a terrible misuse of scripture. In early generations, prejudiced people regarded the descendants of Cain as black people, or from Canaan, excuse me, as black people from Africa, and they used this curse to justify slavery, but black people did not come from Canaan. Canaan was the father of the Near Eastern peoples, many of whom were conquered by Joshua when Israel took the promised lands. To say that this is justification of slavery is an absolute misrepresentation of this. So I'll finish the chapter here, verse 26 29. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shen, and Canaan may be his servant. May God enlarge Jephthah, and he may dwell in the tents of Shen, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, 
as he died. So an incredible, almost an anticlimactic ending to Noah here. So much as it talks about his, his faith and willingness in the ark. And again, as you mentioned, in that time of ease, he lets his foot off the gas and he brings just pain and hardship on himself, which is always the case whenever we doubt being diligent in our relationship with the Lord, we're inviting pain and hardship. Now, after reading the chapters eight and nine, to a struggling Christian, what would you say to them? How would this be applicable to them? I think what we just talked about, Noah was certainly no a picture of being on that, just the terror of that ark, the animals, the sounds, the, the maintenance, the work. You can be sure in that moment when he's in the storm for that length of time, as you mentioned, over a year, he is seeking the Lord diligently. And after he gets off the ark, he builds that altar. But as time goes on, as the pressures of the storm tend to release, we can let our relationship with the Lord take a back seat to say it more plainly that we can get a little sloppy in our walk with the Lord. Making sure that our times of ease, we are just as diligent to seek the Lord through praying, seeking the Lord through our, our quiet times of devotion of reading the Bible, that we prioritize prioritize those times, especially the time where things are going well, because those times are often preparation for something that's coming in the future that we have no If someone is struggling today, I would recommend, hey, get back to where you were. Get back to that altar. Get back to that ark. Get back to that place where you are dependent upon the Lord, crying out to the Lord, spending time in prayer, spending time serving him, and allow him to minister to your heart. Mm, amen. Yeah, and Jesus says in Revelation, repent and return to where you came from. 100%. Because at the end of the day, we all have trials. We all have very difficult circumstances. We all have the, uh, those moments where we're crying out to the Lord and we're struggling. The Lord is always there. The question is, what is our walk and our relationship with him? He's not just some genie in a bottle. We rub the lamp and just say, hey, I'm in, I'm in trouble. I need your help now. No, it's we're disciples of Christ. We're to be following him. Jesus even says, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It's got to be that daily thing where we're walking with him. Because when we're struggling in those moments and we know that he is still right there with us. And although our circumstances may not change, our countenance changes when we remember who it is that's on the throne. Amen on that. Wow. I think that's a great spot to leave at. Brian, uh, what we've been doing on here is figuring out ways we can be praying for our special guests. How can we be praying for you? Well, we've got a lot of wonderful things going on in our church. We have lots of ministries and lots of opportunities and, and all these wonderful things. And I would say, making sure that for me and just the fellowship, that we always keep the first thing first. It's easy to allow service to the Lord to get in the way of our personal walk with the Lord. And that's a very dangerous thing because Again, the Lord doesn't need any one of us. It's a privilege to serve him, but we have to prioritize our walk with him. So I would say just making sure that we're all in that place of dependence upon the Lord, that studying our Bibles, just drawing near to him as we have all these events and ministries taking place. We don't want to just be busy doing the Lord's work. We want to have that deep and soul relationship with him. So that'd be the best way to do it, me and really just the church body. Okay. Well, let me pray for you right now. And then oh, wonderful. after the words, we'll wrap it up. And I may ask you one more question. Okay, sounds great. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much 
thank you for Brying and just being available and being able to do this with us, walking with us. We just pray for him right now that you would give him grace and strength and keeping the first thing first. We ask that for the fellowship as well. But Father, we pray for Brian and his family that you would continue strengthening him in your word, strengthen him in your Holy Spirit, giving him guidance and direction in what he needs to do. And also too, finding the right time to find rest, giving him the time to rest in you in your grace and your mercies. Father, we just love you and we thank you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, if uh, the listeners were wanting to learn more about you or to come find you or to listen to your teachings, how would they find you? Sure. There's a few different ways to do it. You can go to our website, ccincinnati.org. So have a podcast for all of our teachings. You just search under your Apple Android podcast. And that's, again, for Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati. We also have our church app you can download on both Apple and Android devices. And all the teachings are on there as well. And I'll try to throw a link in the description so that if they want to get the app, find you on the podcast or on uh, Facebook tube, I'll, I'll throw a link in there. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. All right. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mitch. Great talking to you as always. And God bless everyone. Yep. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We will be taking a break due to church conferences we have coming up in October and November. We will return back the beginning of December. Thank you so much for listening. God bless.